0: Happy Mother's Day. I hope that for the ladies of our church that uh, it will be a good day and that uh, the people in your household appreciate you just a little bit more. Uh, I am reminded, however, that uh, whenever there's a holiday and a celebration, there's also a sadness uh, for some. uh, Perhaps uh, their mother now is waiting in heaven for them. For others, there's the heartache of uh, homes where children are, are absent but uh, we nonetheless celebrate the gift of mothers to us and what God does through godly women in our lives. I remember that, uh, oh, several decades ago, uh, I preached a sermon, and the title of the sermon was, I Wish All Moms Were Like My Mom. I thought this would be a great sermon. My mother was still alive, and I thought, well, this is, this is a nice opportunity to uh, say some nice things about my mother in her presence and sort of honor her and, those kinds of things, and maybe encourage others. And so I preached a sermon why I wish all moms were like my mom. And I talked about my mother and how she had been brought up and had really overcome quite a bit of adversity. Uh, She worked her way through college. Uh, She was a school teacher, taught in a one-room school to start out with, and then uh, finally wound up teaching in the third grade, had a particular gift, uh, for teaching third grade boys, uh, particularly those for whom school wasn't a, um, a worthwhile endeavor. She got them to see the need of education, and uh, there was never a child who entered her class who couldn't read, who was not reading by the time they left her class. So I, I got to talk about her and how for um, a great deal of time in my family, she was not a single mom, but she was a standalone mom. My dad was in the Navy, and he was deployed, and Uh, overseas and uh, apart from us uh, a very good bit of the time and so a lot of the uh, house management and a lot of the child raising and all those details that go into family uh, my mother was doing uh, on her own and at the same time then always having us in church and uh, church at Sunday night and Sunday morning and Wednesday and we were always in in church and she uh, brought to us a, a sense of the love of God and and the challenge of what it meant to believe in Jesus Christ. So I, d- I thought it was a nice sermon. I thought it was kind of like a, a feel-good sermon. It was the kind of thing that everybody should say, not amen, but ooh, ah. You know, it was just, you know, it, it should have been a really nice sermon. Well, uh, later on that week, I went to visit a lady who had been visiting the church that Sunday, and as we sat down to talk, she just lit into me. She absolutely raked me over the coals. She told me everything that was wrong with me. She explained how I was a male chauvinist and that I didn't understand women and that I had no sympathy and no regard and no no feeling at all uh, for what women went through. And she just absolutely destroyed any sense of confidence. And I've never preached that sermon again. Well, until just now. But... uh, uh, What I discovered, though, was that she had been wounded. She had recently gone through a divorce. And uh, the church where she and her husband attended uh, had basically chosen sides. And uh, he he got the church in the divorce settlement, and she she had to move on. And uh, she was was hurting, and she was very much wounded. And I wish I had had enough wisdom back then to listen to her enough to have said, You know, whatever you're feeling and whatever the heartache and whatever the pain you have right now, Jesus already knows about it, and he cares, and he has an answer. He'll walk with you through this time of real brokenness that you're going through. Luke's Gospel tells us in the seventh chapter uh, that when Jesus and his disciples were walking along, uh, they came to a city, and the name of the city was Nain and as they came to the city gate, a funeral procession was coming out of the city, and uh, they were carrying uh, the, the body of a young man, and behind him was walking his mother. He had been her only son, she was a widow, and so her whole life had collapsed, and her whole family structure had collapsed. And Jesus, having compassion on her, stopped and He commanded the the man, he said, rise. And he got up and Jesus returned him to his mother. Now, Jesus didn't raise all the children that died. He didn't give back children to their mothers every time he could have. But he did it once. And that was enough to demonstrate that Jesus is the one who gives us not just a, a physical family, but he gives us a spiritual family and a spiritual bond even between mothers and children that eternity never breaks. And he did so to demonstrate his power. Even as he didn't uh, uh, heal all the blind people, he didn't give all the blind people their sight, but he did enough to show that he was the light of the world. He didn't unstop all the deaf ears, but he did enough to show that he is the Word of God spoken from the, the depths of heaven. He didn't cleanse all the lepers, But he did enough to show that by his blood we are cleansed and made whole. And so by raising the child of the widow of Nain, Jesus showed his compassion for the hurting that is special to mothers. And even on the cross, as he was in the process of giving his life for our salvation, in the midst of his agony, he paused and he looked down and there was the apostle John and there was his mother Mary and he said to Mary behold your son and to John he said behold your mother now we need to understand this very clearly Jesus was not saying now Mary you take care of John Now, some of our Roman Catholic friends look at that passage and say, Ah, Jesus was saying, Mary, you take care of John, and, and now we should pray to Mary, and she'll take care of us. No, He was giving His mother to His friend John so that John would take care of Mary because she was going through what no parent ever wants to go through. She was watching her child die. And in those moments, He took care of His mother, and He said, John... You care for her and you take her into your home. And he did. And that's how he cared for her. James tells us that religion, pure and undefiled before the father, is to take care of the widow and the fatherless. That's what's really acceptable in God's sight. And not just to narrow it down to those two uh, categories, but whenever the family is broken and whenever family structures are wounded, whenever those those support systems that we normally get out of the home and from mother and from father and, and brothers and sisters, whenever those those mechanisms are broken, here is, here is what it means to practice our faith in Christ. It means to help those people and to love those people and to be a source of, of comfort and a source of strength and support to those people. So what I can tell you this morning, ladies, if you're hurting, if you're, if you're hurting for a wayward child, if you're hurting because the There's an absence in in the home. If you're hurting for whatever reason, Jesus not only knows, He not only cares, but He heals and He restores. And He is about the business of guiding the women of our church and the women who come to Him by faith and guiding them through life and ultimately to the throne of glory. So it's Mother's Day and uh, we recognize that. There's so many things that, that, that mothers do in our in our lives. They're, they're very much teachers in our lives. And um, I was thinking about that and this, this is really where I want to go this morning Just think about the fact that with the current uh, situation with all the, the shut-ins and we, and we have to stay in the home together that uh, suddenly we're discovering uh, what it's like to be with family all the time. I think there's a lot of of working parents who are suddenly uh, very appreciative of the folks who take care of their their children uh, all day long, all all throughout the week. I'm hoping that a lot of families are discovering that there's something to be said for the quantity of time that you spend with children. Very often we say, well, I spend quality time with my child. Your child doesn't know that. They count by quantity. And there's so many things that happen in a child's life that you can't plan and put on a schedule and say, you know, well, Wednesday afternoon we're going to have quality time and there will be teachable moments and you will suddenly open up to me and whatever problem you have you will bring to me and I, w- I will be able to, to take care of it. No, there's a sense in which you just have to be there all the time because those moments of teachability and those moments of caring, those moments of tragedy in a child's life, you know, and no matter how small it seems to us, but it's tragic to them. They don't come according to a schedule. They don't wait for quality time. And there's something to be said for quantity time. And I'm really hoping that parents are, are discovering that. I'm really hoping that families are discovering that there's something to be said for looking out for one another and, and sharing life together with one another and, and, and just working through a crisis and a, and a difficulty together uh, with one another. And so in many ways, parents now have become homeschoolers. Uh, some have been homeschooling all along. Some have now had homeschooling thrust upon them. Uh, what I can tell you is, parents, you are always schooling your children. You're either doing a good or bad job of it, but you're always teaching them something. I mean, think about your own life as you go back and, and, and look about your own schooling. I, I came up through uh, public school systems, mostly. Uh, I was in DOD schools. That's the mostly part. But uh, I was in public schools, and the teachers who made the most impact on me weren't the teachers who knew the most. All my teachers knew a lot. It seemed to me they knew way more than I did. The teachers who made an impact on me were those who manifested a humanity and a love and a concern and a compassion for the kids in the room. In other words, teachers, and you, you who are teachers, you know this, you teach who you are as much as you teach what you know. You teach who you are, and how you relate to the world. That's why it's so important, parents, to be engaged in the education of your children because you want to teach them who you are in Christ Jesus. And to think about that, I want for us to turn to our text this morning. It's Psalm 78. And uh, we'll, we'll read this together for just a few minutes. We start at verse 1. Uh, th- this is a psalm in which um, uh, Israel is called to listen and then to share uh, the story of its history, the story of what God has done for them and in their history. And uh, we read this. Uh, the psalmist says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. And what he means by that is, he said, I, I will tell you about what God has done, but I'm going to tell you by, by showing you uh, parallels in your life with what's going on here. That's the idea of, of a parable. Um, so he says, I'll, I'll speak in a parable... I will utter dark sayings from of old, things which we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His His might and the wonders that He has done. He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise to tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. And the rest of the psalm, some 72 verses, goes on to talk about how God dealt with a rebellious and disobedient nation of Israel. We look at this passage of Scripture, and I, I just want for us to extract a few things about how we school our children and how we teach Christ in the home. The church, of course, is, is very much engaged in in Christian education. We, we have a whole Sunday school program, Bible study program, uh, programs during the week. Uh, it, you know, one of the things we're really looking at is how we can get those back online and and, and back in operation, And we don't know exactly how that happens and when that happens. But the goal is there. We want our kids to be taught here in our church and and in the midst of our church family. But I want for us to think for a moment about how Christ is taught. How the the truth of Scripture is taught. Because ultimately all of us are homeschooling our children. Because our children learn from us. Whether you like it, you're either teaching good or bad. You're teaching who you are more than what you know, but we are all teaching in the home. And I want for us to look at that and, and, and notice, first of all, that the subject that we're teaching is the glory of God. There's a lot of other things we're teaching, but ultimately, as parents and grandparents, we really need to be teaching the glory of God. And, that, and that's the glory of God and His power to create. We looked at that a couple of, uh, of weeks ago. Uh, but his, his glorious power in the world and the beauty of creation and the wonder of life and, and all the good and marvelous things that God brings to us when He's present in our lives. We, we need to teach the, the glory of God so that our, our children are aware that whenever they, they encounter another person, it's the glory of God that, that surrounds that relationship and defines it and must guide it and direct it. They need to know especially the glory of God that sent Christ to die for them and send Jesus Christ to give up his life and to shed his blood so that sins might be forgiven and that we might have a relationship with our Father in heaven. We teach the glory of God not as some abstract theological principle, but we teach the glory of God as the most practical knowledge you can have. It's the glory of God that defines what is good, what is right, what is just. It's the glory of God that defines what does it mean to love somebody. It's the glory of God that says, why are we here? And, and what is the purpose of family? And, and what is the purpose of, of all the events around us? It's the glory of God that gives us an insight on how to make our way through the wilderness of, of a trying and difficult time. It is the glory of God that guides and leads our children. So we need to be teaching the glory of God. That's the subject. Not religion. Not goodness. Not goodness but rather the glory of God. And that glory of God is known only through Jesus Christ. Now it's obviously true that you can lead a horse to water and you can't make him drink. You can, however, put salt in his food. And so what we do with our children is we lead them to Christ and we try to give them a hungering for the righteousness of God, give them a sense of their own um, uh, sinfulness and their need for the Savior in a way appropriate to their age, to guide them to see that God's love is so great, God's glory is so marvelous and wonderful, that if they put their faith in Jesus Christ, He saves them from that moment and for all eternity. So the subject we're teaching in our home schools is the glory of God. And the assignment is to teach the next generation. Now I say this not because... Children are the future of the church. Um, I guess it's sort of hard to avoid that. Somebody, you know, has got to be the future of the church. But that's not why we're teaching children. It's not just so that this building, this property, something called First Baptist Church can just go on and on as, as, as a corporate entity. We teach the next generation so that God would be glorified in their lives and that they would love the Father in heaven so much and have such a passion for the Son, Jesus Christ, that they could not help but teach Him to their children and to the children after them, so that God will be glorified. You know, there's a lot of things I want my kids to know, a lot of things I wanted my boys to to know. I, I wanted them to enjoy some of the things I enjoyed and to be a part of that. And Some of them, yeah, some of the things they they picked up and some of the things they didn't. But, you know, if I have a hobby and I I really want my children to learn this hobby and they have no interest in it, they'd rather do other things. Um, Well, okay, that's fine. That's who they are. And it really doesn't matter. But I want my sons to know Jesus and to love Him and to give their lives to Him. I want their families to be to be led to the altar of god's grace in Christ Jesus day after day by the character and the nature of my sons and if they don't learn that, then we've lost everything we've lost it all so that 's how how uh, critical it is to teach the next generation the truth of God and the truth of the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ that they might might come to know Him and glorify their Father who is in heaven. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Timothy, I want you to hang on to the, to, to the faith that you learned from your grandmother Lois and you learned it from your mother Eunice. Now, Timothy, I'm convinced it's, it's real in your life. And Paul was, was talking there about a, a cross-generational faith, a faith that had gone from grandparent to parent to child. Now Timothy sharing that faith as well. You see, there's a place for this schooling in the home of the gospel of Jesus Christ for every generation. You know, those of you who are grandparents, I know you pray for your your grandchildren. And I know you're concerned for them, and there's nothing you wouldn't do for them. The most important thing you can do for your grandchildren is pray that they would come to know the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you have children and they're wayward or they've gone to the far country, if there are if grandchildren and you're wondering when they will ever see the light or when they will, they will ever come to know him, you keep praying for him. There's no prayer that's ever wasted. There's no tears shed for a grandchild that is ever wasted. When I was in college, I roomed uh, with, with uh, uh, just one person, Larry Morrell, uh, for the, the last three years we met in our freshman year. But he had come to college, and he was not a Christian. And in the opening weeks of of college, uh, someone, we called at that time Campus Crusade, the crew now, but somebody shared Christ with him, and he became a believer in Jesus Christ. And he was sharing that experience with me, and one of the things Larry said was that it was the faith of his grandmother that sort of opened the door. That when, when somebody came to him and said, would you like to hear about how to become a Christian, It was because he knew his grandmother was a believer and knew that she was praying for him. That that was the tiny crack. That's what opened the door. And the Holy Spirit walked in and saved him. Sometimes you don't know, but that prayer of a godly grandmother can be the, the small hook that the Holy Spirit grabs and uses to bring someone to Christ, to bring your grandchild to Christ. So don't give up praying. Don't despair. Always pray. Always have hope. And always share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mothers, I know you're, you're, you're hassled and, and, and harried right now. Uh, I'm sure Timothy's mother, Eunice, was, was in much the same boat. I mean, um, there may not have been the same economic structures, but uh, I'm telling you there was no such thing as, 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 as a mom who does not work. And uh, But still she found time to share that faith with Timothy and to make it so real that he gravitated towards the things of Christ until one day that faith became his own. That faith became real to him. And that's why we have a cross-generational church. That's why we believe that the oldest generation is responsible for the youngest generation and why we try to help the youngest generation appreciate the older generation and why we, we realize that we all are in this together and we are, we are educating our children together so that wherever they look in our fellowship, they would see the Spirit of Jesus being lived out daily in, in the lives that they see around them. See, That's, that's the point. That's the, the reason we talk about a, a, um, a, a cross-generational church. And so our assignment is to... Teach the next generation and the generation after. And our textbook is the Word of God. Our textbook is the Scriptures. Now, on one level, that means, well, we teach the Bible stories uh, to children. Um, By the way, I hope you're doing your Bible reading along with Randy's 30-day challenge. I know I have been. And one of the things that struck me as I've I've read some things uh, afresh and and have gone back and read some, some accounts... These stories are not for children. <laughs> They're for adults. And, and when we tell them to children, a lot of times we have to, to, to um, phrase things in a, in a way that the children will understand. So it's not as though the Bible stories are just for children. They're actually for adults and mature people who are, who are growing in the faith and growing in their knowledge of Christ and growing in their commitment to the will of God. But we start out and we teach the Bible stories to children. We teach them the basics. We teach them in a way that they can understand, trusting that the Holy Spirit will work to lay a foundation in their heart and in their mind and their thinking and their understanding so that they will come to, uh, to a point where they realize, oh, the, so that's how what I was taught so many years ago. That's how it relates to my life today. And we teach the Bible stories. We teach the scriptures to our children So that they start to understand that their behavior and their conduct, their values, are determined not in a haphazard fashion, but they're set down for for us in the Word of God, in the Bible. We teach scriptures to our students and to our young people. And we teach scriptures to every age, every age. From cradle to grave, we believe in learning the Bible. You never come to the end of needing to know. And one of the things that needs to happen in the home is that the children get a sense that the Bible is not a book on the coffee table there pulled out if if a preacher comes to visit, but rather the Scriptures is an open book that is being read and lived out and applied to life daily by mom and by dad, and then in their lives as well. And so our, our textbook is the Scripture, our textbook is the Word of God so that we might Uh, not just be speculating on what we teach our children, but we know exactly what they need to know. And our goal in teaching the scriptures is that everyone might know, each generation, everyone would know what God has done. One of the things that's happened in our culture is that culturally and as a society, we are losing our our anchor and our roots just in the, in the historical presence of the church and the historical presence of biblical truths. There's a lot of people that, they're, you know, they're, they're all for justice and they're all for goodness and greatness and, and, and right uh, thinking and all these kinds of things, but they can't tell you why. It's a part of the momentum of Scripture that was taught to children for generations before we came to this day. One of the greatest gifts we can give our children is a grounding in Jesus Christ, a grounding in the Word of God, a grounding in the Bible, so that they they will have a sure guide and a sure compass and a sure sense of direction in their lives, so that wherever they 're going, however it might take place, they will absolutely um, know what God wants them to do and what God wants them to be and so this morning is Partly because it's Mother's Day, partly because of the situation we're in, I want for us to think about home school, what is being taught in the home, and it needs to be the glory of God, taught to every generation, from the Word of God, so that everyone might know, and have that guidance. Now, I'm going to tell you that that's a pretty daunting task. That's something that that's not that easy to do. It's hard to be a teacher. Even when you've got the training, it's hard to be a teacher. You know, we we need to, among other things, be very, very thankful for the men and the women who have given their lives to teach our children and to be engaged in that process so that uh, our children know that, that learning and education isn't just something they're being punished with because we send them to school to punish them or something. They need to know that when they go to school, it's because we value education and we value knowledge and learning. But parents be engaged in that and be engaged in the learning of your child and, and, and his or her education so that you make sure that Christ is brought in at every step along the way. As It's really beyond us. It's really more than we can handle. But here's the good news. You actually are not the teacher. You're the teacher's aid. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who makes the truths of God's Word come alive. It's the Holy Spirit that brings your child to Christ. You'd be there as an instrument. You'd be there as a, as a channel through which the Holy Spirit works. You'd be there as an encourager. You'd be there as one who, who comforts and, and draws your child to the things of God. But ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit working in that child's life to bring them to Christ. And so what I would ask you to do, in addition to following up on the 30-day challenge that we're, we're still going through but I, I would just challenge you to make sure that you are teaching in your home, that you're teaching the glory of God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's bow together in prayer. And Father, I'm just so thankful that in all these things you give us the resources, the gift of your word, the gift of your Holy Spirit. Father, that you move our hearts and convict us, and you draw us ever uh, to you that we might be found useful in the work of the kingdom and useful and sharing Christ in our homes. Father, I, I lift up to you the households of our church. I lift up to you moms and dads who are, who are just earnest in their desire for their children to know you. I lift up children who are discovering the joy and, the, and the, the beauty of Christ. I pray for young adults as they are launching out into life that they would just understand what it means to have the resources of heaven in their life by faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank and we pray you, we give you the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.